0: Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about audio entrainment. If you are unfamiliar with that term or just curious, stay tuned. Audiovisual entrainment is something I've used for the past six months, several times a week. I've worked on anything from sleep to focus to really just enjoying a gamma meditation. And my guest today is Dave Siever. He's the founder of something called Mind Alive and the device i use is the mind alive delight pro we delve deep into audiovisual entrainment the history of it the scientific studies behind it use cases clinical applications and of course dave's history if you want to check out the show notes for this one it's at decodingsuperhuman.com/mindalive when you've traveled around the world extensively And at this point, I've been to 60 plus countries. Don't plan on stopping anytime soon. You come to realize how important high quality water is. If you've ever had diarrhea as a result of low quality water, you know exactly what I mean, right? And so when I went down the wormhole on how to have the best water for my house, for my office in my house, I ended up talking to a gentleman by the name of Robert Slovak. We actually recorded a podcast together, and I got really into his device, the AquaTru. I have one sitting here next to me right now. I use it to brew my coffee in the morning. I also use it for just my regular drinking water. And I must say, it's pretty freaking awesome. If you want an AquaTru, head on over to AquaTru.com and use the code BOOMER because you'll get yourself a nice discount. Let's get back to the show. Dave, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Boomer. Thank you for inviting me.
0: It's an absolute pleasure because, you know, one, now I can have a conversation with you about these glasses that my wife sees me wearing every day around the house. uh, And she can understand a little bit more about what I'm doing to myself but also it's uh, it's a technology that I've been fascinated with for the past several months and I know it's been around for a long time and I want to dive a lot into AVE audiovisual entrainment with you today but I think it's appropriate to start with the man the myth himself how do you how did you come into the study of the brain really because I know your background was a bit in engineering, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, my background is in electronics. And electronics is probably one of the best backgrounds you can have if you want to study the brain because uh, it's all electrical and waveforms and timing and oscillators and all this stuff. So you know, uh, this is probably the best field you could have is is having electronics background. But how I got into this is um, I... Um, I landed a job at the University of Alberta designing a research lab for TMJ dysfunction. And that's people with jaw problems, you know, jaw tension and uh, muscle spasms and all that kind of stuff. Usually there's, well, we didn't know it those days, but there's typically an anxiety component generally attached to it. Anyway. Yeah. So I was designing this research lab. And one of the things that that I was hired to design was a thing called the silent period detector, which has to do with the jaw and what it, is is that whenever you bite your teeth together, the uh, there's what they call postsynaptic neurons or sensors that fire in the in the trigeminal nerve, and they paralyze your jaw every time your teeth touch. Your jaw paralyzes temporarily, and that is to keep us from breaking our teeth when we bite. And so there's a you'll see a whole pile of EMG, and then there's a dead zone, and then it comes up again. And I built this device to measure that and time it. So uh, at the time, of course, we didn't know quite what we were doing, but we're trying to, to determine just how severe a person's bite was. Like if you have a bunch of teeth and one's hitting and then another, then another, then another, and they're all adding like a 20 millisecond inhibition period, those will add up. And you could have 60, 80 milliseconds of dead zone uh in your bite or in your muscles uh, before they act- reactivate. And that was a sign that, of course, you had really bad fitting teeth. But what we found out by accident was that we had so many of our our patients that we could never get them better. We would make a splint for them, and then we would adjust it. Every three weeks, we would adjust it and adjust it and adjust it and adjust it. It seemed to help them for three or four weeks. And then they had to come back in and get it readjusted because it was never right. Well, that turned out to be a placebo effect. And studies, studies have been done since then to show that that's a placebo effect. So we're basically giving a lot of our patients placebo. But what I did observe with a lot of those people that we couldn't really treat is that the silent period uh, was really short all the time. It was like 15, 20 milliseconds, which meant that a lot of them actually had a very good bite. And the problem wasn't anatomical. It was psychological. And started figuring that out over the time when I was there. But I got to say that once I got into the physiology side of electronics, I found that it is so utterly fascinating. I just absolutely love physiology. I had no idea that I could have absolutely would have loved to have been a doctor. But I'm I'm definitely glad I've got my electronics (laughs) back Without it, I might not have appreciated it so much. But, oh, man, did I like physiology. So I started teaching it uh and of course i had to learn physiology to design electronics to to test all these things that are going on in the body biofeedback devices and and, and stimulators and so on uh so i just it was such a beautiful fit for me i absolutely loved it and i ate breathed, breathed and slept uh physiology all the time and read just hundreds and hundreds of you know, books and articles, studies of all kinds that typically had the electrical physiology side more tied in with them and, and how the body functioned. Uh, but in 1984, uh, uh, an instructor in performing arts had heard that there were a couple of mad scientists up in dentistry, myself and, and Dr. Thomas, who was the professor I worked with because um, we used to wire ourselves up with like 20 electrodes and have a big pigtail hanging old, off
0: our neck. The old backyard, like uh QEG <laughs> oh, yeah. kind of
1: thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. At the time we were doing, of course, muscle, but, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, we'd have this big, big tail and we'd go for lunch with this big pigtail wires. Usually they're hanging off my face cause I was the Guinea pig. And um, so this sort of reputation grew that there were mad scientists up there in the dentistry building and, uh, so anyway, an instructor in 1984, an instructor in performing arts had heard of this crazy new age technique, or at least that's what I thought it was at the time, a flashing lights in the eyes and sounds in the ears. And it was good for putting people into hypnotic trances. Uh, and he got, he, he got a hold of me and asked me to build him this device. And, and I thought, well, I could give it a shot, I guess. And, uh, it took. I started that in like I think November of '84 and finished it roughly July of '85. It turned out to be a massively huge project. He didn't know what he actually even wanted. He didn't understand how it worked, and and I had to do a whole bunch of learning on this end because I'd not heard of it, audiovisual entrainment before, and I didn't know if it worked either. I really thought it was kind of a new age scam of some sort, and that it was probably going to fail anyway. Well, they did have really really cool dissociative aspects to it where it could kind of trance you out. So and now it's a good, like
0: almost psychedelic kind of dissociative, like, uh... uh,
1: yeah, in those days it was extremely psychedelic cause I was using different types of stimulation than what I do now. Mm-hmm. And so I was generating uh, huge evoked potentials in the brain and I'd see massive kaleidoscopes of gorgeous colors and patterns uh, as if you're looking actually at a kaleidoscope, this is like a, neur- a neuronal, cl- uh, neuronal kaleidoscope. It was wild. The stuff I used to see in the old days, uh, we don't do that now with our gear because there's there's risks associated with that, and it doesn't actually entrain the brain properly when you do it that way. Uh, but it was sure awesome to look at, and it sure helped cut with anxiety. And in those days, I had pretty severe anxiety. In Canada, the interest rates are 18%. We had a house, we had univ- university didn't pay much. <laughs> yeah, 18%. And so money was really, really tight. Now, I spent a lot, of, a lot of hours on the ground getting oil and grime and dirt in my face fixing old cars because I couldn't afford a car more than a, that was worth more than about a grand at best. I think most of my cars are about $500. But um, anyway, um, uh, so anyway, I was using it. I made two devices and I was using the other one on myself as well. And it was really helping me get through some tough days of anxiety. And then when we were recognizing the signature in our TMJ patients, uh, we thought, well, you know, if a lot of them are struggling with anxiety and, and psychological issues, maybe I should be trying our gear on them. So we took our 10 worst patients who had severe pain for 10 years and jaw tension and everything else. I put EMGs on them. We did finger temperature as well, because uh, the warming of the hands is a sign of going into a parasympathetic state. Well, these people all had cold hands, you know, and their tense jaws, a lot of pain. And I ran them on the old David One, and in about 10 minutes, temperature just going way up in their hands, uh, jaw tension just dropped from like several microvolts down to about half, which is like extremely relaxed. And their pain was gone for two days on average, completely gone. And that was the first pain relief that many of them had in two years or 10 years, aside from taking a, a great deal of drugs. So then I thought, well, okay, there's got to be more to this to, to this technology, and then just being a new age gimmick. And so then I got pretty serious about going to the uh, health sciences library and digging up all as much research as I could find on visually evoked potentials, flicker stimulation, entrainment, whatever I could find for keywords, and started amassing volumes and volumes and volumes of research. Turns out there are thousands of studies on blinking lights in, brainwave out. But but there are not very many studies on the subjective effects. Or no, what go how do you feel when you're on entrainment? But there were still probably, I've probably still found a good dozen anyway that had been done, and some by some fairly leading people. Well, it turns out that entrainment, there was a commercial device that was already available in 1958 called the brainwave synchronizer. And And it was actually quite serious uh, research equipment. And other people had been experimenting with entrainment as well uh, all along.
0: But none of this stuff was really like commercial at this point, was it?
1: No, no. It it was a commercial, no, not to to the retail market. The Brainwave Synchronizer was almost sold primarily for researchers uh, at universities and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't commercial. And it turns out that how this thing spun was that there was a physician in the Second World War named William Kroger. And when the when the Americans were in the second world War and they were taking their battleships you know with long droning engines and stuff like this which helps put the person into trance or bomber planes with long droning engines that they would find that they would fly into enemy territory and suddenly they're getting shot at and the and the radar guy should have seen it coming long ago on the radar, but they found often the radar guy was in trance. And it turns out you know the old-fashioned radars, couldn't hold an image on screen like a modern uh like a modern uh, tv does or monitor now does now so the old radars they would just the blip would go around as it went around there'd be a blip and a blip and a blip and that blip helped lull them into this trance and they would just watch the enemy come on screen and just just gaze at- I,
0: I, I mean, I could see how this would happen, and obviously it did happen, but that's fascinating to me that this machinery would put people, very people that are operating it, in a trance to the state where they couldn't operate it.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Anyway, that prompted William Kroger to team up with a guy named Sidney Schneider out of Ohio, and uh, they built then the world's f- sort of first commercialized um, uh, brainwave synchronization device or, or audio vi- sort visual entrainment device. Uh, which they called the Brainwave Synchronizer, and that came out in 1957. I have one actually in my office that I bought off eBay.
0: Wow, I'm I, I imagine that's a little bit of an antique these days.
1: Yeah, it still works. Mine actually has a neon light on it, so it's it's orangey. They they went to xenon the the next year, but so I've got one of the very original models. Uh, yeah, so that's how it kind of got started, and now the David name, uh, the guy developed it for at the end of the day i made a dollar an hour over about a thousand hours uh, and he just because he didn't know what he was doing and he did and anyway he didn't have the money and whatever else so i was going to call it a Neurostim, HemiSync, or some kind of a, a neurotech kind of a name and he said no 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 you've been working on it for a dollar now i am going name it something that is kind of honors you in some regards and i'm like well, okay we'll find it it's, I'm still making it for him so I could put whatever name on the panel he wanted, but I, st- I kind of wanted to put a brain name on it. Uh, anyway, he comes back. Well, I want to call the thing the David. And I go, oh, geez, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> and he goes, no, no, I thought it through. The digital audiovisual integration device. We're integrating brainwaves through digital audiovisual stimulation. And I thought, well, that is kind of a clever acronym. Um, okay, we'll give it a shot. Uh, meanwhile uh, to, to these old machines had had uh, they were 10 by 10 systems and they were 10 inch by 10 inch centimeter wise i'm not sure who your audience is but 25 by 25 centimeters or so okay and uh, and they had a large panel that i had to wrap around them and glue on their aluminum big aluminum frame on on the front and uh and it was like fifteen hundred dollars to make one panel or 1700 to make a hundred Because once they get going, it's all setup fees, right? So once they get going, they can just print them off cheap. So I had 100 made, which is good. I destroyed the first half dozen that I tried wrapping (laughs) on the first unit uh, before I figured out how to glue them down. And and anyway, then we started making the devices, and people were asking for them. And I thought, wow, there's actually a world out there that knows about this stuff. Uh, Yeah, out of the blue, people were calling me up and ordering a device. And in those days, they were about $3,500. Uh, so a little more expensive than now. and But anyway, um, yeah, after we started burning th- through the 100 or so, I was going to change the name again to a, a, some kind of a brain name. But by then, Wall Street Journal uh, and I think Financial Post and some other magazines had done re- uh, review articles on us. And people were calling up asking for their David. So I thought, well, you know, I'll just leave the name sit. So uh, that's where it came from. But people say, oh, aren't you self-important? Sometimes I get that. And I go, no, no, I didn't. I didn't come up with this.
0: <laughs> well, if you go on the website and you see the the acronym, you do have the periods in between uh, for those that are are particular about detail. But I can see where somebody would ask that question.
1: Yep, yeah, occasionally, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, that's kind of my backstory. Since then, now uh, we have. It's really taken off. We've got we've got studies on everything. We uh, have uh, uh, over two dozen studies on our gear alone. I think there's 28 studies at the moment on the David devices and um, uh, two are coming out right now. One is on event related potentials by John LeMay. And he's found that one session of entrainment speeds up the brain's processing time and gets it more synchronized. So there's a larger ERP pulse that comes off it. Mm-hmm. But I'm also learning that entrainment isn't really entrainment uh, either. You're going to have to explain that one a little bit more. I-, I will have to do that. It's Entrainment is the least of what entrainment does. So it's been now poorly labeled. Uh, and the reason why the entrainment name first came out or, or you no, know, visually evoked responses was another term that was with it. Stimulus in, you know, flashing away in your eyes and, the, and a brain response out that synchronizes with the stimulus. Well, in the old days, when you use 50,000 lux, you know, super bright square wave intense strobe lights, you had a pretty good brain response that, that kicked in response to the stimulus but but it was an evoked response, and um, it wasn't a, it wasn't quite a real response. But since then,
0: can you just quickly define evoked versus real? There, um, so an evoked response is triggered. Is that what it is? Or
1: yeah, uh, an evoked response basically there's a firing mechanism through parts of the brain that, especially the occipital cortex where the, where the vision is processed, that kicks back. But. Uh, but a real response, in a sense, gets gets the thalamus involved because all of our brain waves, pretty much, well, not beta waves, but certainly alpha, theta, delta, are, are an oscillator between the cortex and the thalamus. In fact, all of our senses, except smell, go through the thalamus into the brain. And if you activate the thalamus, the whole brain will resonate, not just the visual cortex or other parts of it, but the whole, the entire brain will resonate if you go through the thalamus. But it turns out that sine wave stimulation does a much better job of activating the whole cortical thalamic loop than a, a little square wave pulse does that you might see like off of a strobe light.
0: Interesting. Well, Dave, there, there's many different ways I, I, I could take this conversation, but I want to kind of build from foundations now and then go into effects. Because you did mention there that beta waves were not necessarily affected through the thalamus, but I am curious how you affect them with audiovisual entrainment, but we'll come to that here in a sec. Um, Audiovisual entrainment, if we're gonna build the basics for people, I know you've kind of hinted at it already, but what is somebody experiencing when they sign themselves up to this or get one of these devices?
1: Well, I'll explain uh, maybe what you'll experience on a physiological level True. and maybe on a psychological level. So, so
0: what we've- we're we putting on the glasses, though, and we're we're hooking ourselves up to some sort of sound, um, if, just to kind of so, give people a background.
1: Yeah. So, we've done a few things since the original. All the original research was done. Now we do field stimulation, as you notice with your glasses. So we can do a different frequency, kind of in each side of the brain, although it's a lot weaker than a full full visual field of stimulation. Uh, and we've also randomized the pulses. As uh, So everything is randomized some, not too much. We can randomize roughly. Let's see if you were doing 10 hertz. We can randomize them up to plus minus one. So maybe nine to 11. But if you start to go further, it, it completely doesn't work. But if you randomize this, the entrainment mildly, the the effects on the brain and the and the psyche are a great deal better than a fixed frequency. So as we start to make more sine waves, which you don't, uh, and we start to ra- we split the fields, and now we're randomizing it. You on an EEG, you don't see much of a signature anymore. It's it's sometimes you don't see the signature at all. We used SMR beta so much to generate alpha, especially in people with brain injuries. That is the most effective thing we've used to generate alpha. Uh, Tom Budzinski used a whole variety of frequencies from eight hertz to twenty-two to reestablish alpha in an Alzheimer's patient, and had complete complete recovery uh, with this lady. Uh, she moved out of the senior someone and, and back into her own home, uh, and and live and we could walk now through downtown Seattle and not get lost again, and and had a normal walk and had completely normal life after being after being. Uh, Written off to be dead. They thought she was going to be dead within six months. And she returned to a completely normal life using entrainment that was randomized between 8 and 22. But fixed frequencies, but up and down and all over the place, but maybe 20, 30 seconds at a shot at each fixed frequency. So we just started the randomizing on the fly up to plus or minus 1 hertz, and it significantly enhanced the effect of a fixed frequency. If you went plus or minus 2 and they're about the same. If you went plus minus three, it, it didn't work at all. So so even though you still need to have, you need to hold the frequency to some degree, like you, I would say your center or your base frequency, randomizing it uh, makes it a whole lot better. So it's not, is it really entrainment now? Uh, it's getting hard to tell because you don't see a very strong signature on an EEG anymore. Yeah, I still see a little beta here, a little SMR there, a little alpha there, but for the most part, we don't see too much. Also, flashing lights really drives up cerebral blood flow. Flashing lights really drives up heat shock protein, which is in a very important uh, chemical in our bodies for fighting um, pathogens like, like bacteria and viruses. Very important in the brain uh, for uh, post-inflammatory issues. Uh, keeping the brain settled down, fighting inflammation, attacking a cancer, uh, post hoc or heat shock protein really attacks cancer. Uh, It also drives up lactate and ATP. And the one study showed 260% increase uh, in five minutes of entrainment for lactate and ATP. It also dissociates people. And the more say, when we randomize it, people just drift into a trance way deeper than it was when it was a fixed frequency. And, uh, So all these other aspects of entrainment, and now cytokines, all the research coming out on cytokines showing that that flashing lights really drives up non-inflammatory cytokines, which is all tied into microglia activity, the brain's own immune system, its ability to clean out trash or garbage from the brain. So a lot of things happen from light just being light, regardless of the frequency so much. So... Even though we're still calling it audiovisual entrainment, we're kind of getting, and we can't call it audiovisual stimulation because, I mean, watching TV is audiovisual stimulation <laughs> or sitting on the curb watching the traffic go by, but that's not going to give you any you know, neurological benefits. So there needs to be another term. Right now, I'm calling it randomized audiovisual entrainment. That's the best I've got, or, or RAVE.
0: Mm-hmm. It goes well with um, the strobe lights that you referenced earlier too.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're all, rave, we're all raving about yeah. it now, the randomization. And I think that's probably the best definition at the moment is randomized audiovisual entrainment within the definition that it's not too it's still in training, it's randomizing but it's still in training. And there's kind of this perfect blend between the two that works so well. And uh, and I've got now studies after 20 years looking at ADD, depression, anxiety, uh, cognitive decline in seniors. College students and grade point average, worry, um, all these things. Now, the ERPs, you'll know, evoke related potentials, and all showing that when we mildly randomize it, the effects are somewhat better. They're less depressed, they're less anxious, their grades are better, they don't worry as much, they sleep better than if it's a fixed frequency. So, anyway, <laughs> to, to wrap up this definition, uh, it's much, much more complex than just audiovisual entrainment now, and even at that, the electrical brainwave side of it, because everybody calls, "What frequency should I use for this? What frequency should I use for that?" I go, it's I- I've not done really that. guilty so as much. charged." <laughs> yeah, it's not really a frequency thing that much anymore. Mm. It's partly a dissociative thing because when you dissociate, uh, the dissociating really breaks the HPA axis or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the flight or fight axis. And almost everybody nowadays who's struggling, especially if you're struggling emotionally or cognitively, you're really high on the flight or fight end. The adrenals are cranking out stuff. You know, Cortisol is high. Epinephrine and norepinephrine are high. And this just breaks it like cutting through butter with a hot knife. And that is one of the healing aspects of randomized, uh, or I'll call it RAFE, randomized audiovisual entrainment, is it breaks This whole process that that really kills us much more than the actual issue we're dealing with. It's brutal. So just getting that happening, which happens very fast, 10, 15 minutes, we just see that whole HPA axis crash and people get incredibly relaxed. Breathing is slow, deep, like heart rate variability. uh, The electrodermal falls off. Muscles relax. Uh, When you hook someone up to biofeedback, you see a massive, uh, really beneficial things that are mimicking you know, extremely deep meditation occur in minutes, usually 10 minutes most of the time. And so, so that's, anyway. That's, that's
0: sort of similar to what I have from personal experience. Um, now, yeah. I guess the sound, is it also randomized as well? Because when I'm doing it, I have obviously Um, sort of a a beat going into my ears. Is that also randomized within the process or how does it sync to light? I try to consume about a book a week and that's normal reading, but there's countless numbers of business, self-help, spiritual books that I want to get to, but don't really have the time. And most of these books really, with the exception of that spirituality category, are really only worth about two paragraphs of information. The folks of Blinkist solved this issue for me of just too many books with too little time by really condensing a lot of information into cliff notes. You remember those from back in high school when you didn't really want to read something. And what they've done is they've made it into 20 pages of information and key takeaways. So I use Blinkist every single day. It allows me to consume at least one book a day. And then some days I get much more done. So if you want to try it, head on over to the show notes for this episode and we'll link to Blinkist for you and you can really try that one out for yourself and just become an uber mensch when it comes to information.
1: Yes, it's synced to the, it's sync to like, the, the left ear sync to the left fields. Okay. Uh, the eyes and the right to the right fields. You notice when you're hearing the sound, it'll go pół, pół, pop bop, 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 And bop, 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 bop,
0: And and that randomization changes from time to time when I'm using
1: this device. Uh, Every single time, because we don't want habituation, every single time we play it, the randomizing is changed. Mm -hmm. Every single time, the right side is different than the left side. Even if I'm playing a fixed frequency, let's say like alpha 10 hertz, generally we will split them off by about 0.3 hertz. You get this kind of an effect as you go in and out of phase. And that alone just knocks you out. You just can't get through it easy.
0: You said a term there that I'm a little unfamiliar with in and out of phase. What are you referring to there?
1: Well, phase could be, let's say, where the lights or the tones are all pulsing together, left and right sides. But out of phase would be, you know, even though they're at 10 hertz, let's say on the left side and 10 hertz on the right side, if they're back and forth, you kind of hear 20. Right. And, that, and, and when they're going in and out of that kind of phase, uh, it can just, uh, people just drift into a trance uh, very, very quickly. And that's a part of the healing process. Plus, we're, just, we're suspecting that the, all the combinations and permutations of this mass of latencies between the stimuli is also another factor in boosting brain performance and also improving relaxation. Because wow. it's no longer just fixed and timed. It's all over the place and it's very overwhelming.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, one of the things that you mentioned, and uh, particularly this audience is um, susceptible to that uh, overuse of the HPA access, so to speak. Uh, you know, people that, and I think this is general with anybody who, has uh, any level of ambition or stress in their life is that uh, you just generally overclock your adrenals, get stressed, leads to insomnia, etc. Can we take them through how we would use uh, this device for these particular situations? Because I, I find, look, I, I picked up very candidly, I picked up the device because uh, stress is something that I always have to deal with. And You know, as an entrepreneur, it doesn't really stop. And so it's been very, very therapeutic for me in that sense. But I would love to hear just sort of how you would take somebody, if you were to, obviously I'm doing this remotely, but if you were to sort of work with them and use this device for, let's call it severe anxiety.
1: Yeah. And it depends on the kind of anxiety. I've been brain mapping for 30 years.
0: Yeah, so you you could probably define that a lot more than I can.
1: (laughs) Well, I've come across five types uh, so far. Uh, All the five types of anxiety: there's psychological anxiety, uh, there's slow brain anxiety when you when all that cortisol finally slows the brain down, Uh, or if you have bad nutrition or even uh, low thyroid from maybe iodine malabsorption or not enough iodine in your diet. or cortisol depletion from being too stressed too long, the brain will start to slow down. And when the brain starts to slow down, it it, it loses its brakes. It takes energy to put on the brakes. And uh, so so there's, 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 in a way, kind of two basic types of anxiety that are neurological. One is too much gas. Your foot's on the gas and you're just flying everywhere. And then there's the type where you finally get exhausted and you really don't have hardly any gas per se. but the brake guy is also can't put on the brakes anymore, and so your brain is racing all the time with no thought that is worthwhile. When you have your foot on the gas, you're thinking all kinds of stuff relating to your work, global warming, I don't energy crisis, engineering projects, or whatever. But when you start to get exhausted, your brain just races about nothing worthwhile most of the time, and you can't turn it off. So there's a, a no brakes type, which is slow, and uh, and then there's the faster types. And of the faster types, there's a couple or three of them. There's also an obsessive-compulsive type. There's also a depressed, anxious type, uh, which often happens. And then there's just plain old psychological anxiety. I mean, man, um, just be at the airport, as you know, and you got and you're trying to you know, meet timelines and stuff. Then you look up and you see the screen that says flight delayed. Oh yeah,
0: that's a spike for Boom.
1: everybody. If, if you had a neEM if you had biofeedback monitors on you, just watch yourself go. Yeah. Uh, other forms of psychological anxiety are the way we push ourselves nowadays, which is so extremely hard. Uh, you know, if you have, if you buffer two hours a day for just spare time, and you wake up in the morning, uh, your kids have got a bit of a problem, they're fussing with something or other, uh, and it takes you an extra 10 minutes to get them out the door. No worries, you still got an hour 50 left. Then they get stuck in traffic, and then there's a train, maybe. Then there's something else, you know, and you get a delay here, a delay there, a delay there, a delay there. But after the course of the day, maybe you've had an hour of delays and you still had an hour buffer. So you relaxed a bit during that hour and you didn't have really much, maybe 5% increased stress from those delays in your day. But what happens now if your delay is so tightly, so tightly packed, and I've been there, that you don't have 10 minutes to spare. What happens when that child delays you by 10 minutes right off the bat? You're freaking out. Come on, you darn kid. Get the hell out. Let's get to the car. You're describing my life
0: five years ago.
1: (laughs) Okay. It's brutal. So there's an exponential curve to how much spare time we have in our day. And all this stuff that is pushing us, pushing us, do more, do more, do more, is killing us. Because it becomes exponential, and and we don't keep that in context. We say, oh, what a great, we listen to a motivational speaker or something. Oh, we can do this. Sure. Off we go. And we forget that. The brain state we're in now is a carryover from the state we've been in for the last few months. Now, suddenly, we're pushing ourselves to do this great project or get on board this new company or do some amazing things we're riding on that relaxation from the last few months and now we're pushing ourselves and and the stress slowly climbs as we start to burn as we start to burn and and we don't feel it because it's not fast and after about 2 months, you know, 3 4 months in, maybe 6 months in, you know, we're just on edge, we can't sleep well, we're popping sleeping pills, we're yelling at our spouse, we're yelling at our kids and and life is slowly starting to come apart. Then we have all those added stresses because we can't react we can't we can't relate socially when we're under stress. Especially guys, women do better under mild under moderate stress, they actually relate better socially, but guys become solitary under moderate stress. And so we then we start to feel lonely and then depressed and then this and that and then maybe our marriage is breaking up at the, or we're having all kinds of other thoughts of leaving our spouse or something like this. And then everything just gets messier and messier. And then, with, and then there's all these compounding effects from our lives on, on, what's the word, unwinding kind of in front of our eyes. And uh, and it gets extremely messy. And then there's a big crash. And then we have a reality check. Then we have to do a serious checkup from the neck up uh, because now we're in a mess and now we're just on survival mode. But at that point, we've burned our adrenals. We've depleted our norepinephrine in our brain. We've Oh, uh, all, all maybe the, uh, all the cytokines are wild, and the microglia are going wild. And, and now it could take years to recover from that. Uh, whereas if we just controlled it in the first place, uh, we wouldn't have been there. So entrainment does two things that are really nice. One of the things is, is that when we entrain, the effect typically is so profound, you get so deeply relaxed especially if you've been caught up in the stress world for a long time and you no longer know you're actually stressed because you're so used to it. And then you, you go on this, on entrainment and it goes, and you go like bang and you're like, Holy crap. That's what it means to be relaxed. Oh my God. I forgot what that felt like. That often gives people a bit of a reality check to start changing their lifestyle and start getting better. But also by having entrainment, you really do reset those adrenals very well. And you reset the brain very well, and the neurotransmitters like serotonin goes up, and uh, endorphins go up. You'll start to sleep better. Uh, But also, you will think more efficiently because you just cannot process under flight or fight at all well. And so you'll start to do things more efficiently in less time and start now having more time in your life. And you'll be making better choices, especially emotional choices, because you're more level now. So you're not doing crazy dopamine-seeking choices, which are always dangerous. And, uh, and long as you re- respect that extra time you get for being, for functioning more efficiently and, and better and you don't try to fill that void. Cause I get people <laughs> who call me, they say, I'm working like a 12 hour day and I want to work 16, but your machine do that. And I'm like, I don't want to sell you my device. Cause I don't want you working a 16 hour day and using our gear to do that. I want you to recognize that 12 hours is, Plenty good, and if you can take that 12 and knock it into 10 because you're more efficient, that's what I want you to do because I want you to spend time with the things that are important in life, like your friends and your family and your health. I don't want you to fill that two-hour void now with something else and fill it back up again and just keep keep burning out all the way down because uh, contrainment can't save you from a crazy, reckless lifestyle. It, it can It can slow it down, but you will crash and burn anyway if you don't respect it.
0: I want to come back to that lifestyle standpoint. We're going to come back to that because I think there are some things that people need to consider before engaging with this, but also engaging with any technology. And you and I talked about this before we hit record. Uh, But on with the device, uh, there's numerous settings because I have the delight pro Uh, I believe it's the David delight pro and there's numerous settings that I can choose from, and there's images that I can choose. Um, when I'm doing entrainment, and let's we can take stress as an example. Which of these settings should I use? Should I use them all? Should I avoid some? And uh, like for instance, is it is it okay to play around with everything, or should I go very directed at one type of entrainment?
1: You know, uh, officially, like in the old days, I would have definitely said use this frequency and use that frequency and use this frequency. Uh, and now I say use whatever works, okay. uh, because it, it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. We it's still general trends that follow, you know, sort of the neuroscience and EEG and brainwaves and stuff, but these are trends, they're not absolutes. And everybody will break the trends, you know, we'll say, well, you should use this for your depression, or you should use that for. Whatever else, or use your alpha for your anxiety, and they'll use something completely different, and, and they will benefit greatly. So I always say, uh, I will give you maybe a, a, a typical, I'll give our customers a suggestion of where they should start, and then encourage them to experiment some too. You can't hurt yourself with entrainment, and, and you just never know what's going to happen. Like Some of the disorders that people have are hypothalamic. And we have a hypothalamic uh, protocol in there in the feeling better section. I think it's number four. And it's like half hertz to one hertz. It's so slow. It's like on, off, on, off. You know, it's very, very boring. And yet hypothalamically, it really has an impact. And it's been used for fibromyalgia, for hypertension, and uh, and other ailments that people have. And it works very, very well. On a small group of people, like 10% of the users will find that that sub-delta session is really powerful. Otherwise, it's not going to work for most other people. But the more anxious and wound a person is, the less likely something like alpha is going to work. Everybody thinks, well, alpha, that's that's meditation. But uh, no, if you are like so intense that you're watching the pulses, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, two, one, two, three, six, seven, you're just watching the pulses flash in your eyes and you're counting them practically. Uh, It is not going to work for you. And then that's when it's time to go to dual frequency stimulation or faster, at least like SMR or alpha beta. And we typically go to alpha beta for depression um, because almost always under stress, the left hemisphere, well, I shouldn't say almost always, always, the left hemisphere gives up first. It's more sensitive to cortisol and neurotransmitters uh, that are stress-based. And the left hemisphere starts to pack it in first. And that's the classic sign of alpha asymmetry. Depression is more alpha waves on the left side, which is the happy side. And then there is on the right side. And so if the right side has less alpha than the left, you have depression because the fear side is more turned on because alpha is an idling rhythm. So, the more alpha you have, that means the less active that part of the brain is. So high alpha alpha on the left side means it's just not running that well and the fear side's in control. So the depression protocol, uh, when people have severe stress, that's almost always the first thing I say to go to is that alpha, beta helps to pick up the mood. Uh, A lot of emotional stuff swings in that left hemisphere isn't working so well and it's the first to go. So And it also is very dissociating. So when you run the... The um, the happy face number one or number two. The number two has an alpha front end on it for about twelve minutes. That's my favorite one. Uh, it'll just knock you out, and you'll just wake up feeling better, sharper, and more relaxed and happier. And if you're more, if you perceive your day to be better because you're in a happier frame of mind, you have less stress response. Uh, Kang did a study looking at just that. This uh, and what he looked at was. He looked, he took the right alpha and subtracted the left alpha. So if the left alpha, of course, is larger than the right, that's a sign of depression. So if he had a negative number, if you had 10 microvolts here and 15 here, that gives you minus 5 microvolts. But if it was reversed because you were extremely happy and you had 10 microvolts here and, or, and you had 15 microvolts on the right and 10 on the left, that would be a positive number of 5. Well, he found that if you had a positive number versus a negative number, those are the negative number perceived Life, even if they're exact same situation as positive number, they perceive life to be a whole lot worse because they had a negative outlook because the fear side was activated much more than the happy side was. So, and if you have a negative outlook on life, everything is going to seem to be crappier than it actually is. So, just by being happier, you're gonna you're gonna have less stress as a result of it. But another quick cool thing is that he found that when they had a negative number, so basically depressed outlook or a negative outlook on life, it, it compromised their natural T killer cell activity by 40%. So that means they were more prone to infections and viral viruses, colds, flus, and all of that stuff.
0: And that makes sense with depression and immunosuppression, right? Uh, that makes complete sense. Interesting. Um, with, uh, I guess, a uh, few things here, and I have to ask this question, although I don't fully, uh, this is coming from uh, an audience member, uh, but Gamma. Uh, those who want to access gamma waves because of what they've read about advanced meditators, et cetera. Can we do this with the audiovisual entrainment, or is it something that is kind of TBD in the future? The Decoding Superhuman Podcast is a part of the Health Optimization Network of Podcasts. Health Optimization Network of Podcasts supports Health Optimization Medicine and Practice, a 501c3 nonprofit. At Health Optimization Medicine and Practice, what we hope to do is educate doctors and practitioners on how to optimize for health rather than treat disease. If you wanted to find out more about it yourself, head on over to homehope.org and learn about things like chronobiology, exposomics, bioenergetics, or even metabolomics. Check it out, homehope.org.
1: You can't know it's it's now we have it in our devices now in the Delight Pluses and Pros. Mm -hmm. It's in our device, those devices now. Uh, Having said that, there's a lot of hype on gamma that isn't very backed up yet.
0: Okay, I want to hear more. So
1: so just be wary of that. Unfortunately, uh, uh, there's a group uh, uh, headed up by the professor, her name is TSAI Sai, and they did uh, an Alzheimer's study, kind of an Alzheimer's study on uh, transgenic mice all who were designed genetically to make a lot of plaques in their brain and when they gave them gamma they had 60% reductions in plaques uh same day wow so it was re- absolutely remarkable and they patented their stuff they publicized it everywhere they published all their research trying to become rich and famous and uh which i, I mean i don't begrudge anybody being rich and famous but sometimes the money gets ahead of the logic yeah and the science and so they made this logic leap that if it worked on transgenic mice, of course it's going to work on all humans, but humans don't get Alzheimer's because we're transgenically modified and so when a real study was done on Alzheimer's using gamma at forty hertz fixed forty hertz, it didn't work so Uh, But the the hype nonetheless was so, the the train was rolling and the hype just kept on going and going and going. And people still ask me about it all the time. And I go, no, it's really not a study you can use. Uh, That being said, though, uh, Singer and her group did some very uh, well, well, well well-designed studies or certainly one big well-designed study on wild mice, which are not transgenic and more likely to be more like humans, uh, looking at cytokines and there's a lot of research emerging on cytokines and how they affect the brain how they affect microglia microglia can either protect our cells or it destroys them depends on the kind of signaling that cytokine that microglia get <clears throat> they're kind of like the killer cells in our brain and they take out the trash they keep it clean and they also they're they're the big immune protector like you know like T killer cells are and when they get the wrong signaling which can be caused by stress uh that's a big word. Uh, long-term chronic stress causes a lot of improper signaling. Viruses and bacteria can do it too, uh, but stress is a big one. And then they get they get the wrong signaling, and then they will actually attack neurons and destroy them. And so many of our people who've been in post-inflammatory conditions, either from viruses or from concussions and stuff, they can't think. They can't process. Um, They're flatlined EEGs. Wow. Uh, Flatline, really bad phase, meaning that the transmission times are very slow and usually in one direction, sometimes both. And, um, and their, their thalamus is disconnected from their, from their oscillator, so they can't make alpha waves, they can't make delta waves, so they can't sleep. They all have severe anxiety, they all have really severe insomnia, and they're all obsessive compulsive. So they're hoarders, counters, cutters, ritualists, anorexics, and committed substance abusers and they all have the same signature, which is what's wild. And I've been documenting this for the longest time. I have a 90 minute video on YouTube and you can get it off our website, explaining all about how this works. But now I wanna get a hold of the cytokine researchers because I have a feeling that there's gonna be a real big connection between the cytokines being generated, the cytokines that make microglia go wild, and how the whole thing is playing out in our low voltage, no alpha EEGs that we're recording on these people. Yeah, you'll see examples on on our on, on that video. Uh, flatline people and they're, so they're all OCD, they're severe anxiety, they can't function. And in 15 minutes, suddenly there'll be an alpha spindle will kick and then another one and then another one, and then more channels will start recruiting. And when that session is over, they're like, wow, the bag's off my head. I can think clearly. Uh, I've had some wonderful stories. Uh, uh, we helped a guy who was uh, a binge alcoholic. All his life, you know, or not all his life, sorry, but he's a binge alcohol. He was 31. He was just a deadbeat, never got any education, never got a trade. And he's a drunk and he's lost his license to drive three times. And now he's banned from driving. And uh, and a friend sent him down to get a brain map done. And I mapped him and he's just the most flatlined guy I've ever seen. And he can't have a this guy can't have a relationship either, you know. And he lives in a basement suite of a friend's house for a few hundred bucks a month, and he just does odd jobs, you know, hauling furniture for people if they're moving or some things like this, just to make enough money for some food and alcohol. And uh, and I mapped him, and I said, "Wow, you're the most concussed guy I have ever seen." But this is not a meta. This is not a structural concussion. Most of the concussed people I look at. Pass an MRI; they don't see any scar tissue. It's a metabolic shutdown that's post-inflammatory, and I'm calling it a thalamocortical disconnect. And because there's that's your alpha waves and delta waves from uh, it's a loop between the thalamus and the cortex. That's what I'm calling it a disconnect between the thalamocortical disconnect. Uh, So anyway, and I said you've had a very severe concussion or a viral infection or something, but you've had severe inflammation. He goes, "Oh yeah." I forgot. When I was six, I fell off a slide and I punctured my right skull a whole inch. Wow! We crushed a whole inch. Yeah, two and a half centimeters. For everybody else, uh, yeah. And he had, and he had shut his brain down. He was on the. He was actually on the news because in the little town he grew up in, he was the first person to use the air vac. They had to air vac him with a chopper uh, get him into the city where they could do surgery on his brain. And the doctor said wow we're lucky he didn't get a brain injury he was this close no he was shut down for the next 25 years and and we fired and and uh we fired him up and in 15 minutes cranking up giant alpha waves but we're using randomized smr beta and that's so is that entrainment not really uh <clears throat> Might be might be randomized in training, but it's not entrainment per se because we're not getting the frequency that we put in. Alpha doesn't work very well at regenerating alpha in those types of people. You need to hit them hard with fast, complex stimulation to fire up those circuits again. Anyway, fired him up. He quit drinking uh, two months later, and he just sent me his award. Uh, he's three months sober. He's now working as a machinist. He's got his life together. Had another lady who was 20 years post-car accident. And um, she uh, sent me this beautiful letter. She just shuffled around her house for 20 years. Fortunately, her husband you know, didn't leave her because often you're spo- your, marriage, your marriages break up when someone has a brain injury like that. Shuffled around her house for 20 years. Then a distributor of ours got her on entrainment. Three months later, she enrolled in college, and she sent me this beautiful letter thanking me for her PhD. Oh, it was wonderful. And I get another lady who got her master's after, she was five years post-car accident, couldn't do anything. Her house was a disaster, couldn't work. And five years later, now she's working on her master's. We got her fired up Uh, again. Usually usually they'll fire up the same session, but it's not because we're working on the neurons. It's because we're working on the glia, probably. The lactate, the ATP, which all shut down in, in inflammation of the brain. Uh, the microglia that goes wild and all these other things that happen. Uh, And so even though that original study on the transgenic mice with the plaques wasn't really the correct way to do it for humans, it still showed that flashing lights could have an absolutely incredible impact on parts of the brain that we typically don't really look at, which are the glia, astrocytes, microglia, oligodendrocytes, and things like this. If they don't work, the brain doesn't work period. The neurons don't work without the glia working for them first. And one of the things about the sleep, like all these people, including football players, hockey players who've been concussed and they have chronic traumatic encephalopathy. That's the same thing that I can tell. To me, it looks, it's exactly the same thing as Alzheimer's. The signature is the same. And what happens is, is that they can't sleep because they've lost their ability to make large sleep delta waves. And so Astrocytes must see large delta waves to activate themselves to clean up and dump and and uh, and dig the, the proteins that have built up during the day and flush them into the lymphatic system in the brain. It's called the glymphatic system for glia lymphatic, and flush it out. So once people get into this flatlined, uh, low voltage, no alpha type state, what I'm calling say a thalamocortical disconnect, their brains fill up with protein, and in five to ten years. They're going to have either Alzheimer's or CTE. But a lot of that is because because of the insomnia. Wow. That Uh, that occurs after those oscillators shut down.
0: Yeah. This is incredible. And I, I must imagine that your phone is pretty busy given all the recent discussions around CTE, uh, especially in sports
1: and Uh, not too much yet. We're still working on it, but I'm working with a lady named Becky Basham. You might want to interview her. Mm -hmm. She's out of the sports recovery clinic in California, and she's been seeing, uh, oh, dozens and dozens of, maybe she's up around hundred now, but all NFL football players who lost their careers, lost their homes, lost their families, everything. And there, some of them are living in the streets as a result of concussions from playing football. And she's using our gear to fire them back up.
0: Good, okay. that's I'm, that's wonderful to hear. Now, uh, Dave, for the average person, I apologize to just move this on because I could pick your brain about success stories all day long. Uh, but for the average person who uh, picks up one of your devices, what does the practice the day-to-day look like with entrainment is it a once a day thing a few times a week how uh, frequently how often should a person use it
1: i think it depends where you are uh you know for me uh, i still use entrainment on occasion i think i function I'm, i think i'm pretty sharp yet i'm doing quite well but i definitely there's days maybe i didn't sleep well or i'm just my head is in a bit of a muddle uh, i have to write a couple of book chapters and uh Certainly, uh, writing, uh, running some entrainment it really helps get my head in gear to uh, to get writing and get my thoughts organized and so on. Some people have used it up to three times a day, like fibromyalgia. It's pretty common for them to use it three times a day. Uh, other students and things, uh, ADHD kids often benefit best, especially if they're kind of oppositional defiant. but. In general, ADHD kids work best by the parents putting it on in the morning while they're still sleeping. They don't have to be awake to use it, and they will just wake up and they'll be organized. They'll be together. They won't be emotional. They won't be fighting with everybody. And so, yeah, uh, putting on a half an hour before they wake up has been uh, probably the best way to use entrainment for kids struggling with you know emotional issues, ADD, ADHD, learning disabilities, and so on. Really gets them going. Uh, So it can depend on what you want to do. If you want to, uh, if you have kind of a job, let's say you're working a night shift or you want to go out Saturday night and you want to really party hard. Well, run a nice human session at eight o'clock at night and, and man, that'll fire you up and you can, you can dance till three (laughs) three o'clock in the morning. Uh,
0: I may have to remember that one for when Uh, Amsterdam dance event happens.
1: (laughs) Yes, Indeed. So, uh, and some people use it in the afternoon for anxiety, mm-hmm. but it is different. Everybody is so unique, and their situation in life is so unique, and so they have to do those workarounds and see when it's going to work best for them. Any
0: issue with closing eyes during it? Because- well, you should
1: close your eyes. You okay. should always close your eyes. Okay. Yeah, you, can, you mean you can use it eyes open; it won't hurt you, but the effect is somewhat better if your eyes are closed. Okay, got it. Yeah, you have a better visual a larger visual field that's exposed which will you entrain or you stimulate more neurons and when your eyes are closed too you're you'll dissociate better and drift into that trance uh, more effectively.
0: Beautiful. Uh, Dave, one of the things that you and I chatted about beforehand was this idea of uh, checking boxes and really trying to understand yourself a little bit more and there's certain things that people should be doing uh, either while using one of these technologies or or even getting one of these technologies. What are sort of the basics that you think people need to get?
1: Uh True. Now, one of the things I always say is you should always, every day we should do a checkup from the neck up, but don't do it in an obsessive compulsive way. That is not healthy. Yeah. Uh, just do it in an analytical, how am I doing today? Kind of thing. But yes, so basically, uh I mean, the brain is like a Ferrari. It's a high performance engine and it needs good inputs. And when I say good inputs, I'm talking fuel, lifestyle, uh, events, um, uh, how we, even what we think input is an input to our brain, but certainly on the nutritional side, there's all kinds of things that affect the brain. I've come to believe now after working with the brain for 30 years, that 80% of brain function is all based on what's going into the brain. And especially on the nutritional side, I've seen so many things, uh, recently had the boy who became ADHD and, uh, oppositional defiant and learning disabled. And the mom was, I was talking to the mom about it. This is just back in like February or so. And so talking about the kid's diet and everything else, because I'll get into that in a bit. Well, it turns out he, the, the boy became a vegetarian. And I said, I bet you he's deficient in iron. I mean, if you don't get oxygen to your brain, how can you function? And uh, sure enough, he was unreadable, practically in iron deficiency. He was that bad. So they got him on iron and almost all of his issues have been resolved. So that's one example uh, other deficiencies, magnesium, selenium, copper. Uh, I mean, there's a whole list of minerals that we need. There's nutrients that we need. And then there's stuff we shouldn't have. Probably when the brain starts to go, whether it's from st- over, from stressing it too much, uh, bad lifestyle choices or bad nutrition, the brain starts to slow or we can, we can do a bunch of weird things, but typically sleep gets compromised and then we're tired and then we're not functioning well and then we want to crave carbs because craving carbs will typically spike the brain with a little serotonin because we lose serotonin so easily when we don't when our brain isn't functioning well it goes into fight or fight it goes oh my god something's off something's off and it goes in, and the first sign of fight or fight is to suppress serotonin because if we're being attacked by a wild animal let's say if we're high in serotonin we're just going to get eaten the serotonin must be suppressed so we can get vigilant and ready to fight. Serotonin is relaxing. You can't be in fight or fight. You can't defend yourself physically or, or in any fashion, really, if you're too relaxed. And in, in a flight or fight capacity where you actually have to physically get your fists going and start pounding on something, you can't have serotonin in your system. So the brain has learned. The brain can shut off serotonin in two seconds if it perceives a threat. So, when it starts to perceive a threat, serotonin starts to go down, norepinephrine starts to go up. Then we have insomnia, then we have anxiety, then we're tired all the time. Then we start craving donuts and carrot cake and yummy stuff. You know, uh, I uh, mean, in your neck of the sugars. woods,
0: is it Tim Hortons or is Tim Hortons more on the other side of the country?
1: I know. Yeah, it's Tim Hortons is a big thing up here. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, that's when yeah. people go to Tim Hortons, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, they go for the coffee and the donut, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, a little bit of caffeine to get the norepinephrine. Not that they need it, but they're so tired in the morning, they try to need that kick. I mean, we function well. We don't need coffee, and we don't need a donut. So, uh, so they spike. They're spiking now insulin, and when you spike insulin, it gives a perception of having higher serotonin, so we feel better. But also, you no know, high sugar like that, refined sugar also spikes in the brain, helps it perk up a little bit too, uh, and so people start to crave junk like that. Of course then there's all the back end problems that happen when we crave junk and uh, and one is you know uh, people start putting on weight they start feeling sluggish uh, and then they start they quit running if they're if they're into fitness because now they're getting dumpy and and they're just tired now because this gives them a short perk or burst and then it's gone and then they have all the the self-image issues and their overall health issues that starts declining and when we exercise and work out less cerebral blood flow goes down it's a
0: visceral spiral
1: right? it's it's a terrible spot we either we're spiraling up or we're spiraling down we don't we don't often stay level and then so much processed food is is full of um, it's not organic and it's full of you know glyphosate which is roundup and it's full of other pesticides perchlorate and these are all neurotoxins and that starts affecting our brain too so we really start to lose it and we start putting all kinds of garbage into the ferrari's engine uh, and then the Ferrari just cannot, cannot run. And as an example of a real Ferrari engine, if you threw a little kerosene in it, a little uh, a little bit of dirt, maybe a little sugar, I don't know, a little fertilizer, a little uh, diesel, uh, you could never tune up that Ferrari no matter what you do. You're not going to do Formula One with that. <laughs> no, you'll you just barely dive down drive down the street with that. Yeah. And so the brain is the same way. So I say to people before you get into brain technologies, because a brain technology like entrainment mid drives the brain pretty hard. You want that brain functional. You don't want to just you don't want to make a Volkswagen pull a semi trailer. You're just gonna just gonna blow off the transmission and you kill the engine probably. Uh, so start getting your diet in order. Start looking at your lifestyle choices. Are you working sixteen hour days? Are you having any fun at all? Always remind yourself that unless well, my work is, is so much fun that I can pretty much do my work, you know, sixteen hours a day if I wanted to. Although I do, I still make sure I take my weekends off and have fun with the family and get work away, even though I love it so much. But for most people, they don't love their work as much as I like, and which is kind of more like play sometimes than it is work, uh, because I get it's exciting. But work is something to do so you can make money, so you can have a real life when you go home at five o'clock. So when you go have a five o'clock, have your real life. The money helped you spend, pay your rent, have utilities, buy food, hang out with your family, your friends, and take care of your health. Do those things first. And then consider getting into brain technology, that's your functionality, and which is always good. But don't use it as this sort of fix to push yourself harder and push yourself harder. I mean, having said that, a lot of athletes use our gear, and we've certainly with quite a few Olympic athletes, under some very high-profile athletes, who are going to push themselves ridiculously hard, no matter what, perform better, get through their day, not burn out as fast, and so on. But for the average person, you know, unless you've got that bar set on these giant ideals, just don't push yourself to that point where you're craving carbs or eating junk you're burning up uh, and your brain functionality and you're losing your your relationship with yourself with your friends with your loved ones going off it's just, it's just uh, who's uh, who i climb and cave with and he's a young guy he's in his 30s and he decided to get his master's in one year when well, he finally got it last spring all his drinking in the last six months, and all the CBD and THC he was doing, because he was burnt out and his wife all these years, and he that was getting out unwound and fighting with And and then I could tell his voice was higher pitched now, because he was so tense in the vocal cords, and he had a, he had a tremor in his voice. I had a hard time talking to him and keeping him on top, because his brain was scattered all over. And, uh, and so now that he's, we just had a wonderful hanging out him and I you know, about two weeks ago, it's been like six months since all the sort of the shit has gone by the wayside. And he said, now looking back, he said, Oh my God, was I a wreck? So I didn't know it. I said, that's the problem with stress. it slowly, slowly climbs and humans don't notice slowly changing yeah. thing.
0: It's only uh, when you're only when you're knocked out for a few days that you kind of, Or even worse, right? I've been sent to the hospital before because I I
1: pushed it a little too far. So Absolutely. I've done that too several times. Things can be pretty stressful in the relaxation business. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yes, but you you must learn to manage that. And then the gear will certainly enhance your life. You can even use the gear while you're going through all this stuff. But keep in mind, you still have to address that stuff. If the machine starts making you feel real good, don't forget, you still have to go to plan A, which is look after your lifestyle, your nutrition, and uh, and your health and, and your relationships.
0: Dave, this has been an absolute pleasure. I, I know this is going to be the first of many conversations because I continue to use the device. I continue to experiment with different aspects of the device, and I continue to get good results. So uh, it's an open invitation whenever you want to come back on, but I would... I really appreciate you taking the time today to educate our audience about this really important technology.
1: Thank you very much. I appreci- appreciate it, Boomer. And I appreciate that you've taken interest in what we do. I, that, that means a lot to me too. Yes. Thank you.
0: All right. To all the superhumans listening out there, we're going to throw <laughs> this up on the YouTube channel as well as everywhere else where you can podcast. Dave, thank you again
1: and have an absolutely excellent day. Well, thank you very much. I will do that.
0: The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash mindalive. If you enjoyed this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Every one of those reviews just brings, oh, such a sweet smile to my face. If you're on YouTube, click subscribe. And if you want access to the show notes, advanced notice of guests, as well as the ability to ask questions to these guests, head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com and join the email list finally, this show does not provide any sort of medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be a doctor. And if you want a physician or medical advice, it's probably best you go speak to a doctor. This is really just sharing information. And I hope you enjoy the sharing of that information. Thank you so much for your attention and have an absolutely excellent day.